This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everyone. You're listening to By the Book. I'm Sharmila Ganesan. And as always, my fellow frustrated navigator of bureaucracies, Lee Chui Lin. I thought you were going to call me a rat in a cage or something evocative like that. I thought we'd start light. Yes, fair enough. Okay, hello. Um, It is our monthly book club episode. And uh, as we usually do, we have a guest with us. Uh, Joining us for today's show is Jason Pandya-Wood, who is Dean of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Jason, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So Jason um, is also uh, the suggester of the book that we are talking about today. We're going back uh, a little way, uh, a little bit of a classic. We are going to be talking about Franz Kafka's The Trial. Um, And Jason, you suggested this and you said it's one of your favourite books of all time. So I thought Mm. we'd kick things off by asking you why. Wow, amazing. Yeah, Um, I think the first thing to say is it's one of my favourite books, not because it's a literary triumph. Okay, so you don't read this book and you're like, oh my goodness, this prose, right? Um, I'm so relieved you said that. (laughs) That will make the rest of this go a lot easier. It's going to be a a better conversation now. (laughs) This for me is a book. So I'm, my uh, area of expertise is social policy and politics and how government works and why we intrude in people's lives and so on. And actually, this is a book which perfectly encapsulates uh, this sort of um, the madness of everyday life, the uh, interactions we have with different processes, different systems, bureaucracies, big and small, which governments all over the world have perfected to a fine art. But you know what? It's not just governments. So have you ever tried to change your Wi-Fi provider <laughs> here in Malaysia? Okay, yes. That was some doing. That took visits to uh, offices, calls, and the whole thing was beyond kind of comprehension. And I, the reason why I've held on to this book for so long and I go back to it is it's kind of a reminder of the, the stark, inhuman nature of process, but also the, the lunacy of it or the hilarity of it. So cheery. Yes. Uh, Well, I mean, to be expected. I I was, so I'm excited to talk about this book um, and I'm excited to talk about it, not because I enjoyed reading it. I I think (laughs) that I I would say that upfront, that it was a struggle for Mm. me, particularly the first third, I think, Mm. um, when, when our protagonist, Joseph K, finds himself really locked into trying to navigate a sort of warren of apartments and and Mm. courts and finds himself weakened by the process. And I was thinking, okay, we, we need to, you know, kind of move along, um, Mm. But I think the fact that it takes a while to move along is part and parcel of why the book has the staying power it does. But I just wanted to say up front that I did struggle with the book um, and that it's famously, he wrote the beginning, he wrote the end. Yes. And then he sort of wrote the middle, Mm -hmm. right? Like he sort of plotted plotted, put stuff around, things can be moved here and there. And it was something that the book was fully put together posthumously. And I think Mm. you can tell. Mm. So in the reading process that there's a pretty clear, there's a very clear beginning. There's an extremely clear end. Mm. The middle is the tough bit. It's put together posthumously without any notion of how it was meant to go together. That's the other thing. Didn't he say he wanted it burnt? I think so. <laughs> Apparently, he regularly burnt his manuscripts <laughs> yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, so, like you, Lynn, um, and, and I, I believe I said this to you when because I had read it a little bit before you, um, and I told you that actually for me, the trial, 
it's more like the idea of a book mm. than a book almost. Okay, to be fair, to be clear, initially you told me it's a good and short read. <laughs> no, I did say this. And and I think it's because the, the longer I came yeah. from the experience of having read the book, and also I think it depends when you choose to read it Definitely. without time pressure and so on, the more the ideas um, that Kafka wrote about sort of stay and marinate mm. with you, um, I think it's, it's worth talking about, or at least synopsizing it a little bit. So it's called The Trial. Essentially, it's starts with a man, Joseph K., um, who is accused of a crime that he's not... Uh, it, it's never made clear what it is that he's mm. done. Mm. Um, and then now he's forced to navigate the legal slash bureaucratic system of his state um, and encounters a number of people along the way that you would think are supposed to help him navigate mm. this. But in the end, actually, it beats him down. I think it's mm. worth saying also that he was arrested but never brought anywhere. Mm, yes. yes. Yeah, so he was arrested and then left to just be in a state of arrest yeah. and on trial, but yeah. in his daily life. Yes, mm. so I agree with you, Jason, that it isn't um, it isn't so much a triumph of writing, even though I actually enjoy Kafka's yeah. writing a lot. I love his short stories. Mm. Um, to me, this almost feels like he meant for them to be different short stories yeah. that later got assembled into a novel. I think that's that's a really good observation and there's loads of interpretations, aren't there, on what he might have wanted or might not. What we know categorically is he wanted all of his work destroyed. <laughs> he sort of, uh, nothing was published during his time of significant and he just said, you know, I don't want this to see the light of day. And his friend and biographer assembles it all together in the best way he can at the time. So it's always hard to know what truly lay behind this. I've got another thing thinking on this and I'm not, you know, there's no um, basis for this other than how I interpret the writing is that I think a lot of the style of the writing actually reflects Joseph K's dilemma. So mm. the clunky, the, the labyrinthian corridors, mm. the frustration you feel reading that. And I felt that as well. It's really funny when you're sort of getting through all these different bits you think I don't what is going on here what is going on we're meeting and having frustrating encounter yes. after frustrating yes. encounter and repeated same yes. one sometimes yes. yeah so then again so and this is where I'm being maybe generous but imagine that repeated frustrated encounter as you navigate a modern government machinery or you're trying to get a passport renewal or a visa or you're in an immigration detention facility trying to support people so i think some of it might be that i mean that might be a generous reading but it's almost that way of phrasing all of his encounters in a way that almost makes you reinforces your own sense of powerlessness in those situations well actually one thing that i wanted to to mention is that i i knew the era that Kafka lived and wrote in. But mm. I found while reading this that I wasn't sure. I, I don't mm. know how else to describe it. While, while reading it, I wasn't... It felt like I could have been reading a book that was set in the 50s or 60s, that was set in the 40s, that was set in the yeah. 30s. Um, it felt very much like it was about the rise of totalitarianism. Mm. And I think that it's been described as prescient in many ways. And when I, I read that description, I thought, oh, that's really interesting because... I found myself lost in time a little bit mm. while reading the book. I couldn't place it in a in a historical moment, uh, which is, I, I think, interesting, especially when you think about it from the point of view of somebody feeling as if the state is this 
amorphous thing that you mm. cannot identify, but that is nonetheless very determined um, in pushing you down or in controlling mm. you. And um, I... I I think that feeling of being adrift in time kind of contributed to my difficulty in mm. placing myself within the book. Mm. I think it's actually a useful way in which to read the book. Um, mm. Again, it, it's not for enjoyment's sake, but it's <laughs> in terms of it being an interesting intellectual exercise, mm. um, not being able to place myself in the... 1910s or, mm. or the early 1900s was actually kind of a, a useful thing. This could have been written about 1942. Yeah, Actually, I remember thinking that it felt incredibly uh, futuristic dystopian. Mm. Um, it's very similar to... There's no identifier. No. Yeah. Um, so if you chose to read it as a Blade Runner-esque, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, that era... It could work as well. And and in a way, again, I think that's why in the end, my sum takeaway from the trial was um, a, a sort of... Definitely a bleakness, but at the same time, a sort of fascination with this world that he had managed to create. Mm. Um, of course, the, the theory is that he based it on Austria in the mm. 1910s and the very dense bureaucratic systems of that time. But as you say, Lynn, um, a lot of people have alluded to the fact that actually he seemed, it seems even more accurate of what came after his time. Mm. I think so. And it, uh, just a reminder, and I really, I'd never thought of the timeless, the, the way of reading that in a timeless way. It's a good learning for me there. Because actually it's, it, yes, you're basing, but these themes are right the way through. I was thinking about um, rereading it recently, about the, the sort of way in which 1984, George mm. Orwell, right, is mm. adopted by left, by right, by people warning against communism other people unbridled capitalism um and the power of the state and i think that's a, a, true in readings of kafka you know um people of faith come to it with with uh, things they'll draw out people from the left um and people from the right as well in thinking about the the place of government so there's both a timeless and also a sense that actually it can be used as a diagnosis of a problem from many different perspectives um, I also think the choice of language is really interesting. So there are little bits in there where you think you could almost anchor on to a moment in time and then you're lost again because they will say he got in the cab, mm -hmm. uh, he phoned for the assistant. And actually all of this, right, you still get in a cab, you still yeah. phone for the assistant and you, you can still well imagine being in the situation of watching him shuffle papers in an everyday current context uh, now. So, yeah. We're speaking about uh, The Trial by Franz Kafka, written in 1914, 1915, but published posthumously on, uh, in 1925. Um, and uh, we will continue our conversation after this. We are joined for this month's book club with Jason Pandeawood. He is the Dean of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Uh, let us know, have you read the book? Are you a fan? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Benchmark for Managers, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And today we're joined by Jason Pandeawood, Dean of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Uh, and together we are book clubbing The Trial by Franz Kafka. I wanted to talk about something that perhaps isn't necessarily the biggest point of the book, but with any novel, I think it's something you tend to want to talk about, which is the characters. <laughs> uh, because in some ways, really, the trial is about Joseph K., 
And then people that just really seem like tropes that are meant to mm. represent particular aspects of things you would find within a legal system or within a government mm. system. Um, would you think of this as a character-driven book? It's not interesting. I think a lot of the characters in, in the book, you describe them as tropes. And I was, think, I was thinking as I read it about my own family, about people in my life, and about people in systems who interact with individuals. And you can sort of, they're, they're written in a way that's enough canvas in there to, to draw that out. Uh, one of my favourites actually is the uncle, right, who yes. comes at the time of... <laughs> in a frenzied oh, yeah, manner. Yeah. And he's already... <laughs> and fr- trying to help. <laughs> we're introduced to this guy who is already frenzied. He lives, like I think um, he describes it as he's always rushing, he's too busy to stop. And he arrives in town, why didn't I know about this? Why didn't you tell me? But actually, I also already heard. <laughs> but I also already heard, you know. Uh, and it was my my darling daughter who, by the way, mm. is exceptional at all these things and good in life so what am I to do and and ends the uncle scene ends with I cannot believe you weren't there during the most important bit where you had to be I had to defend our family name and I just thought God haven't we all got that uncle or the auntie who would be reacting in exactly the same way what I would welcome a chat about is the Uh, characterization of women in this book Mm. because this is a really interesting all the way through um in the way they're framed as people who are likely to help him through the process but also there's there's ways in which they're constructed to be this sort of they swoon as joseph k comes Mm. in just rescue me from my situation and in return or they're the seductresses or the seductresses right so actually um The depiction of the women is probably the one aspect in which reading the book today Mm. makes me think, this isn't a book written today. Okay, mm-hmm. so so I find this interesting because uh, when you said, is this a character-driven book? Um, I mean, I'm so happy we got to the uncle because, <laughs> you know, what a character. But the, the other thing was that I was thinking about Joseph K himself mm-hmm. and um, one thing that I struggle with him on, but that I also find deeply interesting is his perception of power. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's kind of a near constant thing. He enters every room, even rooms that he doesn't understand, um, even rooms that he knows objectively probably shouldn't look this way. Why is there a courtroom in an apartment? What Mm. is going on? Um, But he enters every room with a constant assessment of everybody's relative power to him. Mm. Um, So he's constantly thinking about, well, who are you to me? And and who are we in society? And Mm. um, well, you just just caught me off guard. Actually, I'm a much more powerful man than you. And and Mm. if you'd seen me in the bank, why then, you know, you would know how powerful I was. Um, Although, of course, he then starts doing terribly at his job. So I, I was thinking about it in terms of that power dynamic. Yes. And that's how I understood the women. Because yes. the only way the women can be understood is through Joseph K's yes. perception yes. of them. And um, because he's he's not a nasty piece of work, mm. but he's not great mm. um, as yeah, a person. Yeah. You yeah. can tell that from the way he perceives people. Um, mm. Again, from the way he only seems to understand everyone in terms of value and, yes. and relative yes. positions. Um, so the fact that the book's women, depiction of women was kind of nasty or surface or only mm. see them in, in very sexual terms, um, I thought was just a reflection of Joseph K. Yeah, well, that and the way they are not necessarily... I don't want to say aloud because it's not their story, but they don't navigate this, these spaces. They mm. are very much confined to 
the guest house, the yeah. the, the the courtroom, uh, the lawyer's house. Well, mm. and then even then they don't have power, do no, they? No, no. Yeah. So they are they're either there to kind of enable or block his journey. Yes. Um, but that's it. But you could argue that that's because this is Joseph K's story yes. and you're seeing it through his eyes. Um, so it, it's an interesting question. I wouldn't go so far as to say the book doesn't do justice to its female characters, mm. but it is interesting the roles that they play. Mm. And his, I'm, I was reflecting as you were talking there about his his assessment of power and the really interesting thing that happens page by page through the book is his diminishing power. Yeah. Right. So, and he starts, doesn't he, at the beginning of the book, this is preposterous. I'm not even going to give it any credence. I don't, none of these people are. Worth, I won't even show up. I won't even show up. <laughs> yeah. That's my I'll turn up. I'll just pop in on a Sunday and see yeah. what's happening. Uh, and it's very much that, that by the end of the book, this sort of weariness and the dragging mm. himself around to that ultimate, without spoiler alert, you know, the sort of final bit which is the most i guess the most haunting bit of the the system has won and you have been beaten but you didn't really ever understand the rules of the game and actually because you were perhaps aloof and your assessment of power was the way it was you hadn't really understood your powerlessness well so that that interests me partly because uh when you were talking about the um his diminishing power. Mm. Um, I think part of that is also he makes judgments without knowledge. Mm. And and it's only later on that he starts to understand how little knowledge yeah. he has. Um, there's a point at which he thinks, I can be my own lawyer. Um, and if you think about it, if you are faced by a faceless, nameless power sure. with seemingly endless reach, but also no real repercussions, um, you don't know what crime it is and you don't know what you need yeah. to do in order to get yourself out of the crime, why would you think you can be your own lawyer? Yeah. But And I think that that's also the moment when Joseph K, for the first time, admits to himself, um, because something else happens, someone else says something, mm. um, maybe my judgment is flawed. Yes. Mm. But as a reader, you've known this for, for some time. So I think yeah. it's an interesting kind of thing to read about. So it's it's also interesting because so you were about halfway through the book, Lynn, when you were when we were talking about it. When I started saying, <laughs> "Why did Jason choose this?" Yes. <laughs> but also, but also, you said you didn't like Joseph K. No, no, um, and and my, my assessment hasn't changed. Yeah, <laughs> um, but and you never actually warm up to him. He's not mm. a particularly likable character. But by the third, the last third of the book and towards the end, I found myself feeling sorry for mm. him yeah, and, yeah, and being too. empathetic mm. um, and I find that actually quite a neat trick that the book pulls on you because yeah. more and more as you go through this this maze that he's forced mm. to navigate you start feeling you start feeling beaten down as well and mm. and that goes back to what you were saying about the book and mm. how it does this sort of meta thing mm. of evoking um, the exact feelings that Joseph feels because by the end you almost feel like you've done it with him I think that's absolutely right. And um, as with Kafka, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, metamorphosis in the other story, they, they start on page one with one day so-and-so woke up and this happened, right? Mm. You're in straight away. You haven't got, we haven't known Joseph K before the day of his arrest. In the same way we didn't know um, the guy who turns into the beetle, right? We just, mm. we meet these people on the day of the drama. So that I haven't got Joseph K's everyday life. I get that, the sense when he's in the bank, I do, I can see what kind of person he is call, calling in his assistance. Here's the things I need you to do before I'm gone for the day. But I think what that is for me, 
the perfect example of how are you tested on empathy? How do you understand human behavior in situations where even where you may not like a person, may not find affinity with them, you begin to find yourself, as you describe, by affinity for the situation and a greater understanding of what that person is going through. And I suspect if any of us have had interactions with any systems of, of power and authority, we'll also be making reference points to how we felt or experienced that sort of um, dynamic in our own life. I have... A couple of questions um, about this for, for both of you. Um, so one is in relation to, I, I think the interesting thing about the book is that we can't check out because he can't check out. Um, and of course, you are in a constant state of telling him, well, well, just, you know, mm. just quit your job. Just mm. move town, you know, ignore this. You, you mm. don't have to get arrested uh, by, by people who are refusing to, to give you real answers. Um, and then that relates to not the ending so much as, uh, and again, this is not a spoiler to say, you never find out mm. what he did. Yes, mm. You never find out uh, why he's on trial. And mm. I know that that's part and parcel of it. But between those two things, I think that contributes to the, um, the frustration and the tension yeah. with reading the book. Does it enrich it for you um, or does it ultimately lead to a frustration that kind of you can't free yourself the from? The not knowingness? The, the not knowing and the, the, the just leave. <laughs> you can go first, no, Well, definitely. That's precisely. I mean, it's frustrating. It's, it's all of those things. But yes, that's precisely it. That's the enriching experience for me is that I get to the end and I'm as unresolved, or in fact, it's not, you know, uh, I'm resolved to know that the system has won mm. <laughs> and has beaten without having to explain itself, without having to... Show itself. Show itself, without having to sort of make any road through clear for Joseph K to find a way that's done. And I agree with you 100 As you were talking then, I was just reflecting on all those moments, those forked road moments where he could have got out of this. Mm. When uncle says, come live in the country, yeah. they'll never find you. Where um, uh, he's, he leaves the lawyer's house without even consulting to oh, run yes. off with the, the, the um, young woman in the house. And he doesn't even take that opportunity to get the wise counsel and think through what a strategy might be. The director of courts is in the room. He emerges from the dark. So I think actually it's, I'm, I'm going around a bit, but I think it is that that leaving this book with a sense that actually there is no clear resolution. And again, I would just point to all of those many people, for example, waiting for decisions on their uh, unemployment claims in the UK or uh, asylum seekers sat in a system waiting for decisions that are, aren't transparent, aren't clear. The legal resources may not be available uh, for those. And that's where I see those parallels. I thought till about halfway through the book that they would tell us what he did. <laughs> um, and I remember the dawning realisation that it was never going to come. Mm. Uh, and I remember that at one point, and, and I realised actually the ultimate outcome of the book was going to be bleak. Uh, and that's something, I don't know whether it's it, it's something people should know going into the book, right? Like abandon all hope, ye who enter <laughs> yeah. here type thing. Um, I think it enriches the book. I think it does because it would be not 
offer peace if they suddenly like there was a reveal at the end? It would it be as out of place if there was a happy ending? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I just mm. wanted to kind of surface yeah. it because it's kind of a central theme, but it's hard to talk mm. about if you haven't read the book. But mm. it's worth knowing that there is this sense of frustration and tension and unresolvedness. And it's part of what makes a conversation mm. about it so interesting. I think it's part of what makes a rereading of it mm. uh, so enriching. But the first read, which this was for me, mm. um, you know, going through that, I was like, Oof, OK, I think this needs just kind of bringing yeah, up. <laughs> I lent it to a best friend who just <laughs> Are they still me up. your friend? Well, they are still my friend, but just. I mean, I think this was third time lucky on a recommendation and they just said, I don't, I'm really not going to take any more recommendations from you, Jason. Part of it is the writing. I think yeah. part of it is the writing and, and having to square it away to, to yeah. understand that this is what I'm getting into for X amount of pages, this denseness yeah. of you know, kind of, and then this happened and what now? And then I'm looking at the contract and the contract yeah. says this. And then yeah. it just kind of flows through these long, ostensibly simple, but also very dense sentences. Yeah. I think that that's also a challenge. So I'm going to close by asking the both of you, not whether you would recommend the book, but how would you recommend this book to someone who hasn't read it? So I would recommend this book if you were interested in trying to understand power, authority, and how government works in everyday life. And I would approach it with that mindset. So don't pick this up because Jason said it's some of the best writing, though there are some killer one-liners in mm. here. We haven't had time to talk about those, but you will, you will find them in there. Um, and and look, look at it through that lens and try to kind of use Kafka as a way of trying to understand the modern complexities of life. Lynn? Well, I think that that's, a, that's actually a very good recommendation and, and that's a very solid way to approach the book. Mm. Um, possibly the most, the most pleasurable way to approach the book would, would be through that lens, I think. Um, but I, I do think that if you are interested in interesting stories um, and if you like discussing books after you've read them, then the trial is very, very rewarding. Mm. Um, if, however, you're going to read it, um, reading is, after all, a solitary um, a solitary pursuit. We've talked about this a lot elsewhere on the show. But um, so if you're just going to read it and store it away and mull over Joseph K on your own and, you know, just be sad for a week, then then this is not the book for you. I think it requires discussion. Yeah. Call a friend. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. Or a book club. Or yes. A book club. Yeah. Call a friend and then see after that if they still want to be your friend. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a small dilemma. I would also just add on to all of that. I completely agree. Let don't let this be your first Kafka. I oh, think yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to read oh, yes, his yes, short definitely. stories first yeah. so that you get used to the style and you appreciate his ideas. And then the trial is a great like next step. Definitely. Jason, thank you so much for joining us and for suggesting that we talk about this book. Thank you for having me. And it was great talking about it. We've been speaking with uh, Jason Pandiawood, who is Dean of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Uh, he joined us for our monthly book club, where we were talking about The Trial by Franz Kafka. Let us know, are you a fan? Well, let us know first, have you read it? Did you manage to finish? Are you a fan? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. <laughs> Thank you. 
brings us to footnotes and we are closing off today's show by looking at an article that has just come out in the conversation it's titled why reading books is good for society well-being and your career and uh, they refer to some interesting findings from some studies that well really prove that point I mean, hey, yo, uh, I, I feel very smug. What is this show about? <laughs> uh, I feel very smug. I mean, I think that most people who enjoy reading, who identify as readers, would have said this very often about themselves or about the people they know or uh, just in trying to encourage others to read, but maybe felt like they did not have solid numbers. Well, my friends, my friends, <laughs> let me tell you that. Um, so as you referenced earlier, Shamila, this is based on um, the conversation analyzing data from the Longitudinal Surveys of Australian Youth. And what those surveys did, um, they tracked the progress of young Australians, about 10,000 of them, from the age of 15 till 25, which is a significant cohort, admittedly not from our region, not our country, but nonetheless a, a large number of folks. And what they found was that this is not going to surprise anybody. Reading fiction can increase your capacity for empathy. Uh, reading has been found to reduce stress as effectively as yoga. Um, in the it, When it comes to bibliotherapy, um, it's something that's being prescribed for depression in some cases. And uh, where are we at? So society, we've kind of covered well-being. We've talked mm -hmm. about uh, career comes in because book reading is also seen as a strong marker of curiosity. Um, reading is as strongly associated with curiosity as an interest in science and more strongly than mathematical ability. So I'm going to sound a little bit biased, but whenever I've been put in the position of um, hiring someone or deciding who would make the best uh, part of a team, I've often found that people who read, I'm not saying this is across the board, people who read can also be jerky, but people who read often have a wider, more... I think a more fulsome way of looking at issues and, and life and um, even when it comes to conversation, sometimes the, the sort of intangible benefits of picking up things really does reflect in your in the workplace. Um, and I've noticed also that this is something that increasingly is not as easy to get if you don't um, if you don't put aside time for. So, um, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. I agree with that. I was also thinking about, because the article, again, if you if you were to read it um, on theconversation.com, it actually draws a bunch of parallels to living life online, pointing out that, you know, just watching 90 second videos or reading 200 and... How many characters is it on Twitter? 40. 40. Uh, reading 240 character tweets at a pop uh, doesn't do much for one's mental health, but it also doesn't do a lot for one's attention span. Whereas reading, of course, always has, you know, it, it um, even if, or rather, unless you are a speed reader, um, reading takes time and reading takes consistency. And, and I was thinking about that correlation because you see this frequently thrown as a retort in online arguments nowadays, where people are kind of making these futile comments online or whatever. And someone will say, you know what, read a book. And I was thinking about it in this context and how, like you said, this is something that you need to carve out time for. And um, there are also things, there are so many wonderful things about learning online. Um, you know, you and I grew up on encyclopedias and now, I mean, that's just defunct. Yeah. But, and, and so there are a lot of benefits to learning online. There are a lot of benefits to having this wide open playground. But there's something to be said about the kind of patience that reading requires, the 
ability to search for information. Um, I've talked about this before. I think most of the general knowledge that I have comes from having read something, not from having necessarily learned it online. So you use the word patience, and I think part of it is it goes back to what you started that with, um, effort, right? Because reading requires effort. And, and largely, of course, the reason why social media and the internet is seen as um, pulling people away from developing a reading habit is because it's almost the opposite of that. Your your reward is easily gotten. Um, and that's exactly what the article talks about as well. So basically, they're saying that um, that short-term dopamine um, rush that you get from social media, from scrolling, um, basically what it does is that it gets you used to getting your 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 fix in very short bursts, but that doesn't lend itself well to having the patience to finish a book. Um, where else the effort that you put into finishing a book, the time you invest, and the more sparse and drawn out way in which you get pleasure from reading is something that I think you have to, well, one, you have to train yourself to get used to. But on the other hand, uh, you can easily be drawn away from by the candy of social media. Which is why they also have tips on how to get back into reading. We've also covered that in the past on our show, so you can check out that podcast. But I think overall, for me, I appreciate studies like this because I think they validate the importance of reading. Um, I, I don't think that many people are interested in raising children that don't read. I've never really heard that. <laughs> like, you know, we, we instead have more conversations in the other direction of people saying that they want to figure out how it is that they can get their children to read more. Um, so I, I recognize that this is, uh, that people generally speaking, um, appreciate that reading is a good thing. But to know that it's a good thing in such concrete ways, I think, can help you sustain a habit or pick up a habit that you're maybe a little less used to or averse to, at least knowing that there are benefits, even if you're not reading purely for pleasure. Um, actually, another part of the article I really enjoyed is that they actually they talk about how older people can still pick up a reading habit. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's also something that is worth thinking about, that it's not too late to decide that you want to become a reader. Um, I want to close off by, I think, making maybe a more personal link between this notion of how reading in general can be good for your well-being um, and just linking it, I think, to personal experiences because I realize, um, and, and, and this is a battle that I face. And, and, you know, I do a book show. I have more motivation than many others to have to finish books. And even then, I realize that I very easily go down the path of um relying on screens, of uh, going on social media, of watching videos, of reading little bursts of things on Twitter, um, and in a way being fooled into thinking I'm getting my intellectual fulfillment. But in the end, I do realize reading this article, the feeling of being depleted rather than fulfilled is so familiar to me. I uh, Yeah, I came to this realization a little while ago, and I think the pandemic really amplified that. So I've been making reading a priority in my life for, again, and really kind of pushing that forward. I've spoken about this elsewhere, um, you know, realizing that, okay, reading at night, which used to work for me, now after exhausted days, no longer does. So where else can I carve out the time? And I think I'm happier for it. And now I have the numbers to back it up. <laughs> 10,000 young people. Well, let us know. Uh, we are talking about an article once again on theconversation.com called Why Reading Books is Good for Society, Wellbeing and Your Career. Uh, so let us know. 
do you read and how has that helped you? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.